I want to say thank you so much for having me uh, here this week. It's been a joy to get to spend this time with you. It's been a joy to get to know some of you. You have a sweet fellowship here. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for uh, I'm grateful to spend time with your pastor. Uh, and you have been an. I hope I've been an encouragement to you. You certainly have been an encouragement to me. Uh, so tonight, I want to uh, let, let me say this before we go on. So in that class, the class of weeping and gnashing of teeth uh, that Bryce spoke about, my goal is to give is to teach the students tools on how to handle God's word, and at the end, they are to write a commentary, and that commentary is the culmination of all of those assignments, all of those tools. And uh, tonight, it wasn't by chance that Bryce got up, got up and read Third John because that is uh, that's the com- that's the that's the uh, the basis for the commentary. And most of the students, out of those fifteen or fourteen verses, most of those students write commentaries that are between sixty and a hundred pages long. Out of those, and that, the, and that, that's not. Listen, Bible study is not sitting down and opening the Bible and looking at what somebody else has said about it. Bible study is opening God's Word and hearing what He has to say and learning to utilize those tools into study. And so, with that being said, if you uh, on April the twenty fifth, we're having the Appalachian Ministry in, uh, Appalachian Ministry Conference. That's on a Tuesday, uh, Chosen Road, which is a is a is a kind of a bluegrass band with a modern feel. They're going to be leading worship for us that day. Let me encourage you to come to Tri-State Bible College. You can get online. I had a whole stack of information that I was going to bring uh, to give to you, and I left it on my desk at home. Uh, so, but you can go to the Tri-State Bible College website, and you can learn more about that. There's going to be. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a deacon. You don't have to be a Sunday school teacher to benefit from. Uh, from that from that conference, it, it's one day. It will be worth your time on a Tuesday. So let me encourage you to come uh, to that. Uh, and it's been a privilege to be with you. It's been a privilege to have Bryce in class. You should be very very proud of that young man. Uh, he he is uh, he's excellent. He has become an excellent preacher and uh, handles God's word well. Uh, and you know I. When the in and the, the preaching class that we finished, I guess it was last semester. Uh, Bryce, you didn't know this, but I was giving commentary. I was calling your pastor and bragging on you, uh, and I said, "Have you heard this boy preach lately?" He said, "It's been a few weeks." I said, "You need to hear him now. Uh, you gotta let him. You gotta let him preach." And I'm so thankful for him. All right, let's look together. I want to speak to you today, tonight on a true gospel ministry. The Apostle Paul's is an example of a true gospel ministry. His example calls us to be faithful, and his example calls us to work. The architect Frank Lloyd Wright told a story multiple times in his life that happened to him when he was nine years old. He, and he was walking with his, an uncle, a staunch, play-by-the-rules uncle, through a snowy field. And when they got to the other end of the field, the uncle stopped, and he said, Young man, I want to show you something. And he turned around, and he looked, and he said, Notice my path from one point to another. 
He said, I want you to notice your path. You would run over to the fence over here, and you'd run to the woods over here, and back and forth and back and forth. You went all these ways. You were distracted from the very purpose. He said, there's a lesson to be learned in that. So Wright went on to say, I determined at that point never to be like my uncle and miss all of the things that God has put in my path. Church, when we look here at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul planted the church at Thessalonica in his second missionary journey. And now he's writing to them in order to help them grow in their faith, in order to take why the very church exists and put that into action. The, the, the reason the church exists is to make disciples not just of Jerusalem, of our Jerusalem and our Judea and Samaria, but into the uttermost parts of the earth. That's why a church exists. As I tell our, our folks, a church exists for something. It was a commentary, a sad commentary nonetheless, when we had to ask the question during COVID, is the church essential? Not only is the church essential, the church is the most essential thing in all the world. Because why is it that the church exists? A hospital may be able to save your life, but the message, the purpose of the church is to save your soul. And so when we look at why we exist, we exist for a purpose, and that is for the carrying out of the Great Commission. And so tonight I want to speak to you about two elements of a faithful gospel ministry. How is it that you can have a faithful gospel ministry? You may already say, well, pastor, that's not my responsibility. Only if you're a Christian is it your responsibility. You see, Pastor Kenny's responsibility is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up, the edifying of the body of Christ. It is the responsibility of every Christian to seek to win their neighbors and the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, would be a sad, it, is, a, it is a sad commentary to believe that we're going to have revival, that from this we have a, a renewed desire to follow after the Lord, and from that renewed desire not to come a desire to see our friends and our loved ones come to faith in Christ. Sister, I can say this, of all the reasons that God has for you here, it is for you to fulfill the Great Commission right from where you are. And so let's talk tonight about a true gospel ministry. What is, a tr how, how do, what is an element of a true gospel ministry? A true gospel ministry is faithful. It is faithful by the gospel. Look what Paul writes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, let's begin in verse 2. One, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our, in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. 
For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is the witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you who were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for your word. Lord, we're grateful for our time together here this evening and grateful, O Lord, that you are moving and working in the hearts of folks. Lord, thank you for their faithfulness of being here. Thank you for their attentiveness to your word. Lord, thank you for the faithful ministry of Pastor Kenny, 20 years serving here. The evidence is clear. Now, Lord, may we, as we have heard from you, may we be obedient to what it is that you have said. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice this faithfulness, the evidence, this faithfulness that comes by the gospel. Look again in verses 1 and 2. Look what he says. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi. Now, I want you to notice what happens. So, when they went to Philippi, they were, they were essentially driven out of the city. And he, he points this out, but he doesn't point it out in order for everyone to feel sorry for him. But if we look closely, we can see that he's giving a testimony of the power of God at work in their life. That the way that they were able to keep going in the gospel ministry was not because he was able to pull himself up by his bootstraps. It wasn't because he was able to double down for the purpose that God had given him in that calling. But rather, it was by the power of God. Remember, the faithfulness that he is speaking about here is the faithfulness of God and not the faithfulness of Paul. Look what it says. Look in verse 2 again. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, look, we were bold in our God to speak to you. Would you grab your pen or your pencil and would you underline those, those few words there? Whatever translation you're in, notice what he's speaking about. He's speaking about the faithfulness of God to continue forward and, and to, to keep him going that it is the work of God that brought about this faithfulness. That as we're speaking about this faithfulness, the gospel was not only the message that Paul carried. This is important. The gospel is not only the message that Paul carried, but it's also the message that kept him going. That this work of Christ not only was a work that came and and that intervened in his life so that he would, he would not go to hell, but my friend, remember, the gospel is not just that, that work that saved you from hell, but it's that work that is also saving you to his purpose. It's the power of God at work in you, both to will and to do. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so the work of the gospel is carried out by the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just the power of God to save you from hell, but it's also the power of God to save you for His purpose. 
there's an incredible confidence that we have that the, the role of the pastor is not to grow the church. It was the Lord Jesus who said he would build his church and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. So whose role is it to build the church? It's Jesus' job to build the church. But it's our responsibility to be obedient to Jesus. When we look to Isaiah, we are reminded that it is through Isaiah that we learn the power of God's Word. I'll explain to you what I mean. So I had served on staff in a church. And, you know, when you're on staff, you know, you know everything. You have all the answers. And then when you, become the, when you become the pastor, then you figure out you don't really know anything at all. And so I, I had gone from a growing church, and, and now I'm in my first pastorate, and it came time to be paid, and my second paycheck bounced. So it was just Chrissy and I, and I remember driving down the road in my $800 Dodge Neon, and I remember saying these words out loud, Welcome to Walmart, how can I help you? Now listen, there's nothing wrong with working at Walmart, but if you start out as a pastor and you end up at Walmart, something's going wrong somewhere. And I, I realized right away that this church had gone through so much trouble, things were, that things were, things were not going well right away. And I thought, what is the only thing that I know how to do? The only thing that I know how to do is to study God's Word and to preach God's Word. And so right away, the commitment that I had was to get into God's Word and just to tell the folks to the best of my limited ability what it was that God said. Well, what we found right away was that people started coming to faith in Christ and the church started to grow. Because people not only were hungry for the Word of God, but God blessed the efforts with, with this limited ability. He blessed the efforts. But this is exactly what we find in Isaiah. Isaiah, the prophet, said that God would send forth his word, it would accomplish what he sent it to accomplish, and that it would not return void. You've got to know that any time you're exposed to God's word, then the Holy Spirit is at work in you. No one walks away unfazed by the word of God. It may take, it may take time thereafter, but you've got to know there is, a faith, there is faithful evidence of that. I can say this to you. I've preached all across Appalachia. And I can tell you right away when a pastor's been at a church for a short time or for a long time. I can tell by the way you listen. I can tell by the way that you are faithful to show up. I can tell by the way that you treat one another. When you have a pastor that's been there like your pastor has for so long, the evidence is in your life. That's exactly what we find in Scripture. The evidence of just faithful Bible preaching has had, the Word has had its effect on your life. And I can see it in, I can see it in your buildings. I can see it in the way you treat one another. You know, amazingly enough, not all church folk get along. Can you imagine that? But you folk get along. You can laugh. You, you know, I, I, you can laugh at church. Imagine that. It's okay to enjoy your time with one another. It's okay and, and the evidence of that is seen right there in God's Word. But as we look at this, we can see that Paul was carried forward by the gospel. 
but he was also faithful with the gospel. Look what it says in verses 3 and 4. He says, For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted, notice these words, with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing to men, but God who tests our hearts. The expectation that we have, the expectation that Paul had was an expectation not only that he was going to move forward by the gospel, but he was going to go forward with the gospel, that he was going to be faithful with the gospel. Can I ask you a real serious question? Are you faithful with the gospel? Every believer has been entrusted with the gospel. Are you faithful with it? That means are you, are you looking... As you go through life, are you looking with who you can share the gospel? Are you watching and are you paying attention to the people that you're going to come in contact with and have a desire to see them come to faith in Christ? Understand something. You may support missions in a foreign field, but you are God's missionary to the field in which he has planted you. And there's an expectation and you are accountable to a holy God for how you are being faithful with that. I'm going to tell you. Some of you are grandparents. You have incredible influence and maybe don't even realize it with your grandchildren. So I was saved at eight years old, but did not walk with the Lord until I was 18. And I knew, I knew, I didn't know what it was. I can look back now and understand, but I didn't know what it was that was going on inside of me. When I would go out and hang out with my buddies and we would drink and do all kinds of crazy things, there was something inside of me that told me, That's, this is wrong. And I just thought, you know what? If I just drink enough, if I just do all these things enough, that will go away. And it never went away. It never did. And I looked back, I looked back now and recognized that that was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Amen. From 8 to 18, I used to go to sleep every night and I would pray this. This is the honest truth. From 8 to 18, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And you may hear that and you say, well, pastor, that's a, that's a baby prayer. That's the only way I knew to pray. That was it. That's all I knew. That's all I knew. And we used to go to my grandfather's house, Clay, West Virginia. And we would walk in, and my grandfather was dying with heart failure, and he was sitting in a wheelchair. We'd walk in, and he would say, Boys, did y'all go to church today? Well, you know what? He knew we hadn't been to church. And we'd say, No. And he'd say, Maybe, maybe next Sunday. And he'd start to cry. You can see the effect that that's had on me. You understand, my grandfather died in 1996. I want you to understand something. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And God may have you standing between heaven and hell for your grandchildren. So I'm begging you. Use the influence that you have and be faithful with the gospel with your children and your grandchildren. God has placed you there on purpose. It's not by chance. And just as Paul said here, look what he said again. Verse 4, 
We have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. You have been entrusted with the gospel. Are you speaking? You may say, well, pastor, I live by that old adage. I'm going to preach the gospel always, and when necessary, I'm going to use words. Well, let me help you with something. It's always necessary to use words. The gospel is a message that is proclaimed. I don't mean this offensively, but you don't live holy enough to preach a gospel that doesn't involve your mouth. That may offend you, but it's the reality of the truth. It's the Apostle Paul who said, how shall they hear without a preacher? He doesn't say, how shall they hear unless they live well enough? No. You can negate a gospel witness with your life, but you can't preach a gospel witness with your life. Now listen, that was worth the whole evening. So when we look to the pages of Scripture, we see that the Apostle Paul was faithful by the gospel, that he was faithful with the gospel, and that he was faithful for the gospel. Would you hold your spot here, and would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 10? I want you to see something with me in verse 34. Matthew 10, look over with me in verse 34. This is a passage of Scripture that always is, it's always stunning to me every time I read it. Matthew 10, verse 34. Listen to what he said. So Paul tells us that he's preaching and he's speaking, and he's not speaking as pleasing to men, but to God who tests their hearts. Now listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 10, verse 34. He said, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and fo- take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. The gospel is not a message that is pleasing to men. And the only way that a person accepts the message of the gospel is through the work of God. Understand something, my friend. God has not put you where he has put you by chance. And you're not going out in this gospel endeavor, whether it's with your family, whether it's with your co-workers, whether it's with your neighbors. God doesn't work by chance. And he's not got you where he's got you by chance. And so when we come to a gospel encounter, you've got to understand, you may have the privilege of sowing, you may have the privilege of reaping, you may have the privilege of watering, but God has never called you to one gospel interaction that he was not already there before you. Understand something that's incredibly important. The Bible tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. What does dead mean? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to do a little word study with you. What does dead mean throughout the entirety of the Bible? What's it mean? It does not mean slow to respond. 
It does not mean hindered in your response. I'm not joking with you. I did a word study on this because you hear people say, well, that just means that you're less than likely to respond. It never means that. Do you know what it means every time? This is profound. Dead means dead every time you read it. It means dead. Now, I want you to understand how we, how, what this looks like. So I've walked, I, I, I've, I started exercising before COVID. And I'm now at a, about 1,030 some odd days and not missing a single day of exercise. I'm as amazed as anybody. And all, oftentimes I'll walk from my house and I walk down the road and I walk through, I live in Ashland, so I walk through the Ashland Cemetery. And there are graves in the Ashland Cemetery. Some are recent and some are very, very old. But you understand evangelism apart from the power of God would be like me going into that cemetery and thinking that if I just have a persuasive enough argument, I can coax someone out of the grave. That's ridiculous. But understand that Paul, as he's speaking about this, he's saying, I've not only, I'm not only going forward by the gospel, but I've been entrusted with the gospel, and because of that, I'm going to speak and understand God is faithful. He's already at work. Unless God works and regenerates a heart, no one can respond to the gospel because they're dead. But amazingly enough, When you have that conversation with your granddaughter, amazingly enough, when you speak to your neighbor or your co-worker, you're not the first one on the scene. The Holy Spirit's already been there. He's already at work. We had a man in our church. He's in our church now. He wasn't. A man in our church who's in his 90s. And every pastor who's ever been at our church has tried to witness to him. And when you would witness to him, he would just glaze over. Completely glaze over. He's a good man. Hard-working man. He's a hard man. He's a, he, he was a heavy equipment operator. My, my brother is a, is a heavy equipment mechanic. My father-in-law is a heavy equipment mechanic. Her my wife's grandfather was a heavy equipment mechanic, and so I know, I know what that's like. And you could talk to him, and he's just hard. Just hard. Not mean, just hard. And then his wife got sick, and she came to faith in Christ. And I went to see her in the nursing home, and there he stood. There's Ted. He stood there at the foot of her bed. And do you know now who's preaching to him? His wife. And he couldn't get away from her. And she would, you know, listen, guys, you know this. Your wife can say things to you that you'd kill somebody else for saying. And she started preaching to him. And she said, and, and he didn't, but you know what? You could see it. You could see that he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't cold anymore. Then one Sunday he came to church. He woke up. He never came to church. I mean ever. He woke up one Sunday and he came to church and he told his family, I'm going to church. And he told, and, and when I gave the invitation, I don't have no idea what I was preaching on that morning. When I gave the invitation, here is a 90 year old man running down the aisle. 
and I went and knelt beside him. And he told me, he said, God told me to come to church today. Now listen, there's a lot of things that people say God told me, and I'm thinking, yeah, right. And I said, well, the devil's not going to tell you to come to church. And he said, God told me to come to church and get saved today. And, he, and I remember his words. I had the privilege to lead him to Christ. But look, the Holy Spirit was far ahead of me. And here's what he said. I've been nothing but an old fool. You see, God has divinely appointed you to be a missionary to your children. He's divinely appointed you to be a missionary to your grandchildren, to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to those people over which and with which you have influence. The question will be, are you going to be faithful to the purpose, to the calling that God has had? Notice what he said here. He says it in verse 4. He has entrusted us with the gospel. Even so we speak. Can you say that? He's entrusted me with the gospel, even so I speak. You say, Pastor, I may not know the right words. Now, look, I'm not a guy. They tell me that there's some basketball games going on. I can't tell you how much I don't care about those basketball games. I, I just don't care. I, I'm like this fellow over here. I like big engines and black marks. That's what I like. I mean, I want to. I, I, I want to race. I want. To, I want to hear. I, 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 that's that's. And so, so I don't. Li- I don't care about any of those sports at all. I don't care. You probably do. And the Lord be with you. Somebody's got to do that, I guess. Uh, anyway, so I like to work with my hands. I don't sit around reading all, I just don't do that. I like to read, but I, I also get distracted, and I like to go out and work with my hands and do things. That's what, that's what I do. And so one of my favorite places, I'm not a professional mechanic, so one of my favorite places is Harbor Freight. I love to go, go to Harbor Freight. If you've got a small project, you need tools one time, that's the place to go. If you're going to make a living, you're going to starve to death at Harbor Freight. And so anyway, I was at Harbor Freight. This is, not, this is true. I was at Harbor Freight, and I'm pushing the shopping cart around. And I hear a conversation, just as in passing. I wasn't being nosy. You could, they were talking loud. And he said, he said, you got to come on up the house. Telling this other guy, he said, you got to come on up the house. We'll have a beer and a good old time. And I heard the guy say, I'm pushing my buggy. You know, and the buggies at Harbor Freight, all have, they have four wheels at all turn. You know what I'm talking about? So you can you can you can drift a buggy in Harbor Freight like this, and and I heard him say, "I don't do that stuff anymore." And I'm now I'm nosy. I know this is the truth. And he said, and I thought I want to know why. And he said, "You see, I got saved." And so here's this fella, who had come in his his line truck. I saw it parked outside. No joke. His line truck with telephone pole and everything hooked to it, still parked outside. By this point, I'm being nosy because I go to the aisle over, and I'm hearing this fella in Harbor Freight present the gospel to his buddy that he met right there. 
That didn't happen by chance. It was a divine appointment. And see, a, a faithful gospel ministry is a ministry that is faithful by the gospel. It is faithful with the gospel, and it's faithful for the gospel. Look in verse 5. Look what it says. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is our witness. Some of you are you're, you're thinking, Pastor, how could I ever share the gospel? I don't know what to say. Well, can you tell me how you got saved? If you can tell me how you got saved, then you can tell me how to lead somebody else to Jesus. Amen. And notice, there was no special words. That's what was so beautiful about that guy, that guy presenting the gospel at Harbor Freight. You know, if I walked up to him and I said, Son, I'll handle this. I'm Dr. Shamlin. I've got three master's degrees, a bachelor's degree, and a Ph.D. Let the professionals handle this. This guy would have said, Who are you? But do you know what's amazing? God sent the right missionary to him right at that point. And so what am I doing? I'm over one aisle being nosy and praying for him. I'm going to tell you, the greatest gospel witness I've ever known was a man named Rodney. Rodney was a, uh, was a pipeliner. Rodney was as country as cornbread. Rodney was anointed by God as a soul winner unlike any person I've ever known in my life. In fact, my experience with Rodney was the same experience that the previous two pastors had had. Rodney would come in, and he would sit down in my office, and he would list off a list of people that he had won to faith in Christ. And I thought, there's no possible way he's won all these people to Christ. And so I would go behind him and just see if it were true. It was true. And then I found out that the pastors before me all had the same experience. There's no way that this could be true. And he had won all these people to faith in Christ. It was incredible. He would get the, So Rodney would drive our vans. It's amazing what God does. We had two vans. We had, a, we had a vacation Bible school. When I got there, we had about 20 people vacation Bible school. Our highest attendance for vacation Bible school was well over 400 kids. And we had these two 15-passenger vans. And one of them wasn't worth scrapping, I'm telling you. But we needed them. And they brought this old dot. One of the first things that I did as the pastor, this is a true story. It's hard to believe. One of the first things I did as a pastor was weld the door, on the bottom of the door of one of the vans because it was rusted all the way through. And they brought it back in after they had made like four trips with each van to bring all these kids in. And they brought it in. They said the brakes are locked up. I said, that's all right, I'll fix it tomorrow. And so while all those folks went away to work, here I am as the pastor with a three-ton jack doing a brake job on a, on a van. I remember bleeding those brakes, man, and it was like they were fed, they were filled with, those brake lines were filled with mud. But you know what? We had to have that brake, we had to have that van ready to go. And they told me, I went back to preach at that church, and the guy said, yeah, we sold that van. And the guy spoke up, and he said, it's my carpet van now. I lay carpet with it. I said, I, I wouldn't. I would, you better keep some money in your back pocket because it was junk 20 years ago. But listen, he would get those kids on that van, and he would preach to those kids the whole way. And then he would take them and drop them off at their homes, and he would preach to their parents, the moms and the dads, the whole time. 
And Rodney would show up on Sunday. There would be people show up at our church. We had a, we had a building kind of like yours. It was a little closer. And we had, these people would show up and would say, we're here to be baptized. When? Now. And so we would, no joke, we'd fill the baptistry up, run water hose from the other building, because Rodney had won these people to Christ, and I mean really won them to Christ. Don't think for a moment that you may not be articulate enough, smart enough, whatever excuse that the devil will put in your mind that for you to preach the gospel. I want you to understand something. The gospel that God has entrusted you with, his expectation for you is to speak. You may not know all the right words. You may stumble. You may misquote a Bible verse. But let me tell you something. God has given you an an audience with the people that you have influence with. That may be your grandchildren. That may be your your neighbors. That may be your co-workers. That may be your old drinking buddies. Understand something. God has sent you as the missionary to them. And when we look to this, we recognize Well, pastor, they may think different of me. They may think less of me. Well, guess what? Now is the time to cash it all in to see these people come to faith in Christ. Look what it says again in verse 5. Look what he says. He says, For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is the witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her children, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become dear to us. My friend, there are two elements of a faithful gospel witness. The first is that a true gospel ministry is faithful. We see that, but a true gospel ministry also labored. Look what it says in verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for our laboring night and day that we might not be burdened to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. When we look in Scripture, we can see the Apostle Paul often had a tent-making ministry. Now, what was a tent-making ministry? This is a very public ministry. Because there are times that Paul would go and preach somewhere and that the church was strong enough to support him full time. He was there and he devoted his entire time, his entire life to ministering to people, preaching the gospel. But there were other times that the church wasn't strong enough. And so he did a tent making ministry and it is what it sounds like. He helped mend and make tents. But this was a public ministry because it was in a very public place because his people would travel. There, was, there really wasn't hotels as we would know them. There were places that you could stay, and we could talk about that. You could stay in inns. You could stay with Jewish people, but as they were traveling as Christians or as they, were, they were, would have been considered unclean, they would often stay in tents, and those tents would get tattered over time. And so they would bring the tents in, and the Apostle Paul, uh, others like him, would mend them. And so you can just imagine, he, can you imagine being in a public place, and Paul shows up, and he says, I'm a tent maker, and you're set up beside other tent makers? You know exactly what he did. He would preach to the other tent makers, and people would bring him tents, and guess what? He would preach to them too. We know this because he did this to the centurions. When he gets thrown in prison, he gets chained to a guard, and he has 
an audience with which he preached, to which he preached the gospel. So a true gospel ministry is one that, is, that labors, it requires labor for Christ. Let me show you what I mean. We're going to look at all of the Great Commission passages in the New Testament. I want to show you what I mean. Look at this. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Bryce will put it on the screen. Look what it says. And, all right, this is what he said. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it is necessary for Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, beginning at Jerusalem. So there's, again, motion. Listen to John 20 and verse 21. Listen to what he says. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. One more, Acts 1, 8. You know this. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and into the end of the earth. So again, there's motion, there's work, there's labor. And so it requires faithful labor with Christ. Let's look at these final verses and then I'll be finished. Look what it says. Verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how devotely and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among those who believe. And, and you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, and that you will walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and his glory. So let's, 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 just, let's just lay it all out on the table. There are some, I'm talking to you about the importance of being a gospel witness. And you may hear those words and you say, Pastor, you said that my life can't preach the gospel, but that it can negate my gospel witness. So two questions. Are you living a life that negates your witness? That just nullifies it. Nobody's going to listen to your gospel witness because of the way you live. The way you treat your neighbors, the way you treat your kids, the way you treat your grandkids, the way that you treat those that you work with, the way that you live in front of them. Are you living a life that causes them to ignore your gospel witness? The second question I would ask is if you have been entrusted with the gospel, are you speaking it? Are you sharing it? Because you are the witness to your friends and neighbors, to your loved ones, to your grandkids, to your children. You're the witness. When was the last time that you've asked God to give you the boldness, the obedience, the willingness, the power to speak the gospel to your coworkers, to your friends, to your loved ones? In a moment... Pastor Kenny's going to come, and he's going to lead us in an invitation. Are you willing to make that commitment tonight? I'm going to live the life that does that. I'm going to live the life that affirms the change that Jesus has made in me. I'm no longer going to live as one who negates the gospel, and I'm going to be committed 
to sharing the gospel to my children, to my grandchildren. I'm going to commit them to the Lord. I'm going to commit my mouth to the Lord tonight. Are you willing to do that tonight? Are you willing to say, I accept the mantle. I am a missionary to my loved ones. I'm a missionary to my co-workers. I'm a missionary to my friends. And I'm going to speak. The Lord's going to give me an opportunity. I'm going to tell you, if you pray, God, give me an opportunity to speak. He will give you an opportunity to speak. He's entrusted you with the gospel. Will you speak? Father, I am grateful for the privilege that you've given us to look to your word tonight. 